0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily Now.TV chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, September the 6th, 2022. The logic of this show uh, works in funny ways. These... The narratives of the show or the lineup on a range, but they always have a certain kind of logic. Uh, earlier today, I did a interview with the very smart, provocative British journalist L- uh, Louise Perry, *A Case Against the Sexual Revolution*. I wouldn't say Louise is a prude, but certainly she's not a great fan of the kind of sexual revolution that are supposedly liberated women. But in her view, I think has done the opposite. Uh, She's also a prolific journalist. She had a piece recently from August, uh, actually, a couple of years ago about the longer hemline. Women's clothing is getting more modest, a trend that's likely to continue. Hemline, of course, of their skirts. Uh, And interestingly enough, in our conversation today with Louise, we talked about The Handmaid's Tale, Margaret Atwood's vision of a a world in which um, The hemline was very long as uh, people watching, you can see images from The Handmaid's Tale of the kind of women's dress that uh, covered them completely. Uh, We are talking skirts today, but uh, the skirts of clothing rather than of feminism. My guest is Kimberly Chrisman Campbell and she has a new book out. She's a fashion journalist and writer and historian Skirts, fashioning modern femininity in the twentieth century. Uh, Kimberly is joining us from Los Angeles. Kimberly, I got to start you with a, a tricky one. What's the difference between feminism and femininity?
1: Oh, well, I don't think they're mutually exclusive in any way, uh, but I I think they often are confused, which which is uh, detrimental to both ideas of feminism and femininity
0: so how does let's refashion the subtitle of the book uh let's imagine um rather than uh uh fashioning modern femininity it could be fashioning modern feminism in the 20th century is there a case to be made that skirts have defined feminism or is it only femininity and and how would you even define femininity it's a tricky word
1: there's certainly a case to be made but i don't think it's the case that most people think it is there's sort of a fake history of fashion that says that as women gain more rights and more independence they stopped wearing skirts and started wearing pants and and you know I think there's a myth that the the active and the liberated women throughout history have all worn pants, and that just doesn't hold up historically. Uh, pants remained very marginalized until the late 1970s. They were excluded from schools, from restaurants, from workplaces. Uh, right up until the 1990s, actually, many workplaces required women to wear skirts. And I, do, I don't think that's uh, in any way you know something we should be proud of as a society but at the same time I don't think we need we can dismiss skirts as being less than pants or being uh, in some way inferior because women have always done wonderful things and achieved wonderful things and and been incredibly active. Uh, Even in skirts, and my book focuses on even
0: in skirts, Kimberly. That was a that was a giveaway.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I I, as a historian take that for granted, but many people do not that you can go mountain climbing or play tennis or box in a skirt Um, or become president.
0: (laughs) What about becoming president in a skirt? Um, We're going to talk about (laughs) the, the great champion, the famous champion of the the pantsuit Hillary Clinton, who failed, of course, to become president. Uh, Do you think if Hillary had dressed in a skirt, she might be president now?
1: Well, there's a very interesting article that came out just yesterday, an interview with Hillary, uh, talking about why she adopted pantsuits. And it was because of an incident in uh, Brazil that almost turned into an international incident. Yeah, I I read that.
0: And here we have an image of Hillary in her different pantsuits. It certainly offers a lot of interesting color. Yeah, somebody
1: got an upskirt photo of her and tried to use it in a lingerie ad. And uh, I I think that would probably put me off wearing skirts as well.
0: Well, I want to come back to Hillary later in the conversation, uh, Kimberly. But uh, let's begin with the subject of your um, book, your wonderfully, your wonderful new book, Skirts: Fashioning Modern Femininity in the 20th Century. Were there skirts before the 20th century? Did women wear them, or were they? a revolutionary feature of the early 20th century.
1: Oh, no, they were, they've were they been around for a long time. And in fact, men used to wear them too, <laughs> long before trousers came into vogue.
0: Well, men still do. We'll come to that later men in the conversation still do, too. Of
1: course, that's in the book too.
0: <laughs> but um, what is it then about the 20th century? How, how would you distinguish, say, 19th century skirts that fashioned 19th century f- femininity versus 20th century skirts?
1: Well, you know, one of the things women didn't like about skirts, and I'm thinking of women like Catherine Hepburn and, you know, Amelia Earhart, people in the 20th century that became famous for wearing pants, was the stuff that went with it, the garter belts, the stockings, the high heels, and the 20th century was kind of the beginning of the end of all that, corsets, bustles, uh, all, all those undergarments and the really restrictive underpinnings be- began to go away. And designers like Paul Poiré and uh, Mariana Fortuny, for example, started designing clothes that w- didn't require corsets or didn't require long trains. Uh,
0: Fortuny is a, a Spanish or was a Spanish fashion designer.
1: Yes, exactly. So dresses themselves became much more modern, much, much more uh, user friendly, we would say today. And... Designers and their clients began experimenting with new ways to express femininity that were uh, more body conscious. For example, that were less dependent on restrictive undergarments or accessories, and that were shaped for modern life. As women began to travel, as they began to uh, participate in sports, as they began to go to work, uh, how did those things affect what had been a, a very long-standing history of wearing skirts? Uh, changed dramatically.
0: Uh, in, an, in, in my conversation with Louise, uh, we talked about the way in which sexuality is, women are expected to flaunt it these days, not necessarily to make them more cheerful or happy. Um, was the 19th century skirt an attempt to sexualize the 19th century woman? It, it required a lot of work, but did this come out of some sort of male fantasy of what women should look like?
1: I think it was less about uh, sexual fantasy than an economic fantasy. Uh, the more fabric you wear, the more trimmings you wear, the the more technology that goes into your clothes, uh, the more you can show your wealth. And that was a big difference that occurred after the French Revolution, when women began to take on the decorative role, the role of advertising a family's wealth, and men kind of retreated into very sober and plain suits. Ah, uh, prior to the French Revolution, both men and women wore lace and embroidery, and high heels, and jewelry, and makeup, and all those kinds of things that we now think of as being feminine. Uh, but but that had that had been a unisex uh, expression of wealth for for many generations before that.
0: Kimberly, I know you as at least a fashion historian and a fashionista are nostalgic for the 18th century is that why because people dressed up a bit more fashion was a little bit more central to our existence not just women but men as well
1: i i I think it was a wonderful time because it was uh prior to the industrial revolution everything was handmade handcrafted uh there was a greater emphasis on sustainability than than even today so i'm hardly nostalgic for it because I, i think there was a lot uh wrong with with uh society culture and uh you know politics of that time uh, however i think the fashions were probably as as beautiful and as well made as we will ever get and they will be around a lot longer than anything we're wearing today just because they are all handmade from natural fibers and and uh, handwoven.
0: we did a show um last week um with uh, a historian of of culture w david marx he's based in japan he has a new book out Status and culture, how our desire for social rank creates taste, identity, art, fashion, and constant change. The core of his book is indeed about fashion, clothing, and 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 our need for status. Um, has that always been a, has that always been the driving force of uh, why we dress as we dress, Kimberly? I, we I mean, I don't know whether time you're time. in Marx's camp in terms of our desire <laughs> for status and culture. But do we like, so to speak, excusing the pun, to wear our status and rank on our sleeve?
1: Absolutely. And, and, and we always have. Um, I, I think clothing is about much more than protection from the elements, if that was even a factor uh, in it. It's always been about both creativity and expression, but also showing your wealth. And that's, I think, one of the hardest things to convey to my students today is just how much clothing costs. I mean, when we talk about 18th century fashion, we're really talking about the 1%. Uh, but of course, back then they didn't have polyester. They didn't have Target. Uh, imagine if if you could only shop at Neiman Marcus today. We'd all be wearing extremely high quality clothing. But most of us who couldn't afford to buy it new would be buying it second or third hand. And it would be in pretty bad shape and pretty out of style by the time it got to us.
0: What was core about how we manifested that social rank? Was it style, color, what it revealed or didn't reveal about us, uh, particularly in the 18th and 19th century?
1: Yes, I'm assuming know. that
0: this was in a peculiar way, a legacy of the feudal age. You would meet someone on a train, on a street, in a restaurant, you'd bump into them or you'd see them from the other side of the room and you pretty much knew automatically what their social status was. Is that fair in terms of dress?
1: I think so, you you really were what you wore. And uh, people could tell a lot about you just from looking at what you were wearing. And I, I think that's still true today in many ways, uh, but we have many more options. And of course we have a, a much wider range of price points available to us than, than they did back then. Well, let's uh, go to the core to observe- of the
0: book then, skirts, fashioning modern femininity in the 20th century. 20th century, of course, is a, the age of democracy Um, Again, coming back to this question, um, how much did skirts uh, cause that age of democracy? How much were they a consequence and how much of of a cause? I'm guessing both.
1: Well, so something else that sort of disappeared with the French Revolution and over the course of the 19th century was the idea of sumptuary laws, which regulated what you could wear, whether it's the color or the type of fabric or the type of garment. Uh, those don't really exist anymore, except in sort of, you know, school dress codes or, or uh, you know, office office uh, dress codes. Uh, but I'm talking about actual laws that were set by the government that were very much tied to your social status. And, and if you were it's remarkable for you know, me, yes.
0: Yeah, I mean, Kimberly. I apologize for jumping in here, but um, you're in Los Angeles, I'm in San Francisco. The idea for a Californian, (laughs) a, a Californian in 2022, that the government would impose laws about what you can and can't wear to reflect your social status, your social class, is really bemusing, isn't it?
1: Well, but even today, some people find uh, those kinds of guidelines helpful. I mean, they, some of us find it very liberating to be able to wear whatever we want, and and some wish we had a little more guidance, a little, a little more structure in that way.
0: Am I sensing, Kimberly, a little bit of a nostalgia for a more segmented, <laughs> hierarchical fashion world?
1: Me personally, no. I went to Catholic school and wore a uniform for many years, and I, I don't care to go back to that.
0: Well, let's get back to the the, the book then. Skirts, Modern uh, Fashioning, Modern Femininity in the 20th Century. I know the book is littered with all sorts of interesting examples of women who wore skirts, uh, who wore not skirt, skirts, skirts, <laughs> who pioneered it. Everyone from Marie Curie and Katherine Johnson, the African-American scientist who was behind the NASA and the moon landing, um, to Georgia O'Keeffe, um, and of course uh, well not of course frida carlo someone mm-hmm. you wouldn't have expected to be actually pioneering skirts so all these women had one thing in common you wouldn't necessarily connect carlo and o'keeffe and marie curie and katherine johnson but they all wore skirts
1: and made them part of their identity i mean it was really personal branding of of their time uh, the one the one that really jumped out at me was uh, shirley chisholm who was the first woman to run for president uh, back in the '60s, um, she was very well dressed. She designed a lot of her own clothes in, in conjunction with different dressmakers. And although she wore pants off duty, uh, she felt very uncomfortable wearing them in her official life. And her her staff tried to persuade her, you know, to try it out. And there was one time when she kind of wore, wore them to work in the Capitol, and she was so uncomfortable. They said she wore she read her New York Times all day and kind of hid behind it. And even though she was wearing a, a very long kind of coat over it, covering the pants, she, she just was not comfortable wearing pants. And this is a woman who was extremely ahead of her time, extremely bold and pioneering in so many ways. Uh, and it, it really struck me that, that even she felt uncomfortable um, stepping outside of those norms and dress.
0: Stepping outside of the skirt. What is it? I, I have to admit, I've never worn a skirt. What does it feel like? How is wearing a skirt, for example, how does it feel different from wearing shorts? Well, it's,
1: it's, it's, um, it, it I, I don't think I, I want to give my opinion on that, but I, I could cite people like, um, Venus Williams, who've talked about how much more, uh, comfortable and how much more effective it is to play tennis in a skirt. Uh, you know, tennis is one sport where women still wear skirts regularly uh it's, it's something that a lot of men in many cultures still wear, and it's coming back in men's wear. Um, you know, I, I lived in Scotland for many years when I did my PhD there. Kilts are worn for hiking because they're more comfortable and more versatile than, than pants in many ways.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of you in your book uh, when I was watching the American Open uh, yesterday, a couple of uh, women playing incredibly high quality, powerful tennis in skirts. Is there any contradiction there or or is that an appropriate contradiction given how we've thought of skirts perhaps incorrectly?
1: Well, I, th- I think in tennis uh, skirts are, are part of the tradition of the game and you know tennis loves its traditions. Uh, tennis is one of our oldest sports that women have played from right from the beginning from the, the late 19th century. So they started out wearing skirts because everyone was wearing skirts. Um, women were not wearing trousers or shorts at the time, and over the years, uh, I think players have found that they are more comfortable and more effective as players uh, in that uniform. I mean, certainly we've seen cat suits, we've seen shorts. That that uh, the, the rules against those things are are steadily um, eroding, uh, which is which is you know certainly progress. But at the same time, I don't think they're ever going to go away.
0: You mentioned uh, Mariano uh, Fortuny, a Spanish fashion designer. How important were the designers? We've got Jean Petou, who you feature in the book, a French designer, Uh, Diane von Furstenberg, of course, Uh, Coco Chanel's little black dress and uh, Dior's bar jacket. Of all these designers, who do you think championed the skirt most heroically and significantly?
1: I have to say Dior just because uh, of the timing of his new look coming out after the war and bringing back the, uh, the idea of luxury. You know, d- during the war, women were under sumptuary laws. Really, they couldn't have a certain amount of fabric in their skirts. They couldn't have pockets in their skirts. They couldn't wear full skirts or long skirts. Uh, so there was a real hunger for this luxury and femininity that had. Been completely denied to them during the war, and uh, that that was one skirt that really took the whole world by storm.
0: You talk about luxury and femininity—is that compatible? Uh, we talked about this earlier. Is that compatible with feminism?
1: I I, I don't know any feminists that would that would uh, would deny that you know luxury is desirable. Uh, I think you you. Uh, um, what well, the, the the freedom to dress as you please, whether it's pants or skirt, uh, that's the that's the key thing. We mentioned
0: Hillary earlier. Hillary has defined her brand, not always the most successful of brands, but nonetheless around pantsuits. She seems to wear the same one in different colors. Steve Jobs, of course, championed the idea of mm-hmm. always wearing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mark Zuckerberg has followed that. It seems particularly out here in Silicon Valley, is the wealthier you are, uh, the, the, uh, the more of a uniform you wear. Um, is there a, a skirt uniform? Are there people who are championing the idea of a skirt as a kind of uniform? You mentioned that you went to Catholic school and you wore a <laughs> uniform as a schoolgirl, but a uniforms on the way back being championed By the rich and powerful, the Zuckerbergs and the Steve Jobs and the Hillary Clintons of the world.
1: Well, I I I think we've seen other people in Silicon Valley who are not men uh, wearing uniforms. Uh, We can think of um, was the Holmes. We can think of um, uh, oh gosh, I'm blanking on her name, but you know, I mean, Uh, Yahoo, Marissa Mayer, who
0: yes, uh, Marissa Mayer, who who wanted to dress? dress.
1: Yeah, yes, well, a lot of dresses, a lot of designer dresses. I mean, we have to remember, too, that when Steve Jobs wears a black turtleneck or Mark Zuckerberg wears a hoodie, these are not things they bought at Target. I mean, Issey Miyake was making Steve Jobs' turtlenecks, and Mark Zuckerberg is wearing Bruno Cicinelli and some extremely expensive T-shirts and hoodies. So it's it's an illusion of democracy that they're, they're giving us, uh, an illusion of casual, inexpensive dress that does not necessarily... Um, hold up in terms of how much they pay for it.
0: Kimberly, one of your previous books is The Way We Wear, the Global History of Wedding Fashion. How central is the skirt in the history of how we dress for weddings?
1: Well, wedding fashion is always uh, more traditional, and that's because uh, we tend to revert towards to older styles, to more uh, historic styles, as a way of... Um, signaling that we're participating in a in a very formal, a very old, a very uh ancient ritual. Uh, so I, I think wedding dress will always be a bit retarde or a bit a bit out of step with current fashion. Uh that wasn't always the case. I mean in the 19th century women were wearing their wedding dresses to the opera after they got married because they were wearing high fashion. Uh but but then we we started uh sort of reverting to these older styles for wedding dresses long skirts for example or maybe a you know some lace or something something that we don't really wear every day and that's that's for a reason it's it's because it's showing that we are taking part in an old ritual we are honoring the the solemnity of this event or this this um you know the ceremony by reaching towards the past. And that's something we do with graduations, for example. I mean, graduation caps and gowns uh, date back to medieval times. Uh, uh, Religious vestments are even older than that. They, you know, they date back to pre-Christian times in some cases. So keeping something around for that many years or that many centuries uh, is a way of remembering that it's it's important, that it means a lot to us, that it's part of our history. And that definitely affects wedding gowns, although there's certainly been lately more of a trend to wear something that is highly fashionable or something that you could wear again, perhaps, even if it's just your shoes. Uh,
0: you're a historian of fashion, uh, Kimberly. The book, Skirts, Fashioning Modern Femininity in the 20th Century, as I said, is a history. Historians often make the best futurists. What's your guess yeah. for this kind of book? Which will be written in a hundred years. How will skirts change in the future? Do you have any I, I
1: don't think they're going away. I, I, I think, you know, pants are not going away either. They're all here to stay, but I do think skirts will continue to be with us. And I do think that men will be wearing them more. Um about say, 20, 30 years ago, there was sort of a men's skirt moment. Uh, The Met did a big show called Bravehearts Men in Skirts. The VNA did it. And everyone kind of thought, well, this is it. This is when men are going to start wearing skirts. It didn't really happen. It was a little before its time. But it's happening again now. And and I think it may stick.
0: Yeah, it's happening again with everybody from Brad Pitt to Little Nas X. For people watching, here are the skirts on display. You think that the new fashion for male skirts will be pioneered by celebrities like little nas or brad pitt
1: well it's it's right now still very much a celebrity phenomenon and in many cases they're having these things custom made or given to them by designers um it's not something we're seeing people buying at the gap yet although i'm sure there are some men you know buying buying dresses at the gap and wearing them uh, it's not being marketed to to men as yet in the mass market um, but that's, you know, often how trends start is at the celebrity level and then they trickle down to the masses. So I think it could happen. Uh, I think we're, we're much more accepting of, of men wearing clothes that don't conform to gender uh, stereotypes. And, and this, this may be a time for that to catch on and to stay here, not just as a passing trend.
0: Well, one thing I can predict is I'm not going to wear a skirt. Not because I'm a dentist, but they sound too complicated to put on. So if you can get me a simple skirt, Kimberly, I might put it on. But otherwise, I'm going to stick to my shorts. Interesting new book, Skirts, Fashioning Modern Femininity in the 20th Century by the fashion historian, Kimberly, uh, Kimberly uh, Chrisman Campbell. Uh, Kimberly, what else are you reading these days in addition to um, your books on fashion? Are there some books that you would suggest?
1: Well, we, we talked a little bit otherwise about otherwise by our and and readers yeah we were talking a little bit about sumptuary laws and there's a great recent book on the legal history of dress called dress codes how the laws of fashion made history by richard thompson ford who's a stanford law professor and he goes way back to you know the the medieval and the the prehistoric uh, or pre pre-medieval the grecian uh, laws against wearing certain colors certain clothes Uh, and takes it all the way up to the present. And it's it's a really fascinating book, Uh, even for people who aren't interested in fashion, I I would recommend that. And it really makes you think about how you dress and how you want to dress. Another one I read recently is The Pocket, which is a hidden history of women's lives. Um, We all love skirts with pockets and dresses with pockets. And uh, this is what pockets used to look like. If you can see the cover, it, it looks more like a, a fanny pack or a little purse than, mm. than uh, something we would call a pocket today. And that's because it was something you wore on a belt around your waist. Uh, and it, it really did function a bit more like a like a purse than a traditional pocket. So this, this what goes into the history of pockets and, and a lot of the um, sort of folklore surrounding them.